Good morning, everybody. Welcome in. It's a Monday morning. Hope you had a fabulous weekend, and we're just tickled to death that you decided to pick this radio show today. Tickled to death. That's a North Carolina thing. You may remember Andy Griffith used to say that sometimes. This is Tony Bean, Director of Church and Community Engagement for the Tim Brazier Campus of North Greenville University, where Christ makes the difference, and where we are equipping transformational leaders for the church and for society. I also serve as Director of Public Policy for the South Carolina Baptist Convention. I'm interim pastor at Five Forks Baptist Church in Simpsonville. So, uh, by the way, join us if you'd like, 1030 every Sunday morning. We'd be glad to have you come as a guest. We had our youth took over the service this past Sunday, but there was no violence involved. They were allowed to take it over. They were invited, and they did a wonderful job. Great praise and worship. Thanks to Matt Bradley for just preaching an incredible message about perseverance through persecution. Uh, and the overall theme of the weekend for our, our young people was relentless, being relentless in our relationship with God. I like it. All right. Um, a couple of things. We're going to do a little bit of uh, sort of housekeeping stuff here this morning, the first hour. Uh, first of all, as, as you know, if you've been listening, I've been getting some emails and, you know, we're, we're about uh, halfway to the end point of uh, Christian Worldview with Dr. Tony Beam on his radio talk 91.9 and 89.7 because come March 31st, that's going to, two things are going to happen. Gary Miller is going to retire and the format of 91.9 and 89.7 is going to become music. So if you want to follow this program, you're going to have to find a website. It's real easy. It's not up there yet. I just want to emphasize that. You go looking for it today, and you're not going to find anything. You're going to say, oh, he, he, what is he talking about? There's no. Hopefully, maybe, fingers crossed, by the end of the week, it will be available for viewing. But uh, it's going to be called drtonybeam.com. That's drtonybeam.com. And you'll be able to listen to this program Monday through Friday from 7.30 to 8.30. Now, we're not going to do two hours. We're going to start with an hour. My, I'm not going to say we'll never expand it, but probably not. But we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna at least start with an hour-long program. Now, uh, people have been asking, can, can, can you take calls? Not at the beginning. Um, I'm not saying that'll be impossible forever. But right at the beginning, we're not going to do that. I, I can tell you what the format of the show is going to be. And by the way, the name's going to be uh, Truth in Politics and Culture with Dr. Tony Beam. It's going to be a little bit faster. It's going to be a little bit more hard-hitting. Um, it's going to feature uh, an opening w and then me talking about the top stories of the day, telling you what stories we're going to get into. And then I'm going to get into them, and I'm going to spend about – Oh, 15, 20 minutes on the three top stories of the day. So that's that's the way the 60 minutes are going to run. And now that's five days a week, so that's still 15 stories every week. Plus, we'll do a little recap at the end to talk about some stories that you maybe need to be paying attention to that we haven't uh, gotten deep into. It's going to be a mixture of things that are going on in South Carolina and in the world. When, when things in South Carolina are happening— um, unless it's the Murdoch trial, that deserve uh, some uh, focus or attention, then we'll jump in on it. 
um, and we're going to have a tab at the website that you'll be able to click on to follow South Carolina legislative up, sort of a, a legislative update, legislative news, um, as reported by me as when I'm down at the legislature. So anyway, um, that's coming up. That will launch on April 3rd, and we're really hoping that you're going to continue to follow the show daily. You'll be able to watch it live on Facebook. You'll be able to see it on, hopefully, Rumble and YouTube, uh, those platforms, for as long as YouTube lets me lets me stay on there. And then, um, you know, we, you go to the website, you can read articles, and you can download the podcast. There'll be links so you can click and download the podcast for free, and we hope that you'll do that. Uh, to follow the show and tell other people about the show. If you like it, chances are somebody else is going to like it. They might not, but they might. So uh, appreciate you spreading the word. All right, coming up this weekend, a big event down in Charleston. It's known as Vision 2024. It's being put on by the Palmetto Family Council, which uh, I serve as chairman of the board for that organization. Here are the speakers that are coming to this half-day event down in Charleston at the Charleston um, event centers, the one attached to the embassy suites. Um, and I'll try to give you a little bit more information about that in a second. But these these are the people that are coming because this is, and all of these are confirmed. Uh, Senator Marsha Blackburn, Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard, Senator Lindsey Graham, Ambassador Nikki Haley, Governor Asa Hutchinson, who's a governor of Arkansas, Senator John Kennedy, businessman. Vivek Ramaswamy, who is running for president of the United States, and Senator Tim Scott. Now, that is, that's quite a lineup. That's eight speakers. And then we still have a long list of people who are invited and some of those that we need to drop because we know they're not coming. We know President Trump is not going to be able to be there. Vice President Pence is not going to be able to come. Still an outside chance that uh, Ron DeSantis may come. The pitch clock is running, though. And that's either going to be a strike or, or, or a, a ball or something like that, depending on if you're a baseball fan. Uh, coming up here soon, we'll be able to tell you whether DeSantis is going to be able to make it. So you can, uh, you still can sponsor the forum if you're interested in doing that, or you can purchase tickets. Now all you have to do is go to palmettofamily.org. Uh, that's palmettofamily.org, and you can find the your a way to purchase tickets there. They're still available. If you can come to Charleston this Saturday, March the 18th, it's going to be a great day of uh, really good speakers. And then uh, on Monday, we'll be welcoming the SoCon Con uh, to uh, it. it I kind of want to say the SoCon Con conference, but that's redundant. It's the Southern uh, Conservative Conference. So SoConCon is where that comes from. It's going to be in Charleston Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Great speakers. John Stone Street will be there. I'm looking forward to hopefully getting a chance to meet him. Um, and ma- many other national speakers that you would know uh, from that are associated with Focus on the Family, including Jim Daly. So uh, big week. Next two weeks, this week and next week, going to be very, very, very busy and uh, a lot of stuff happening. So we hope you'll you'll stay tuned to the radio program. We'll keep you up to date on every bit of it. All right. Uh, Tim Keller has shared a cancer update. And as you know, I'm a, I'm a fan of Keller. Keller's, look, Keller doesn't do everything. Everything he says, I don't agree with every single thing. But his books uh, have really 
helped me to be a better apologist, to understand how to uh, sort of migrate apologetics into your preaching, how to have conversations with Christian skeptics, all of that. And I'm very grateful for Keller's influence um, that he's had. The, the Tim Keller Center for Cultural Apologetics is a good place to go to get information on how to to live in a world today that's pretty much lost its mind. So uh, Keller gave an update on his ongoing bans, uh, battle with stage four pancreatic cancer. As you know, he was diagnosed with that. Um, ah, when was it? May 2020, I think is when it was, that he was diagnosed with uh, pancreatic cancer. So he's he's already, if he makes it to May, I mean, that's three years with pancreatic stage four pancreatic cancer, which is pretty much a miracle in and of itself. But his latest scan reveals some new tumors that were growing. So he's going to have to go back and get, he's going to the National Cancer Institute in Bethesda, Maryland uh, in April. He's going to spend April doing immunotherapy, which is something that he received last June. Now, when he, when he got this, the therapy last year, it was considered successful because the tumors pretty much disappeared. I mean, that took 99% of the tumors away. But these are new tumors, and they're going to have to try a new genetic marker in his immunotherapy, and he's asking for prayer because the immunotherapy is tough. I mean, it's hard on your body. It makes you weak and sick and all those things. So please remember to pray for Tim Keller as he gets ready to go in April uh, hopefully, uh, to extend his time on this earth to continue to write and to speak and to preach and to do all the things that he does that makes uh, such an incredible difference. So anyway, I wanted to talk a little bit about the Oscars last night. Now, I didn't watch them. I don't watch the award shows. I just don't. I don't watch them. I don't care. I don't need the. I've got enough progressive left-wing political poppycock being pushed down my throat uh, seven days a week. I don't need a special award show to give me about four hours of it while my brain begins to rot from watching the, the program. So I just don't, uh, I don't watch them. But I did read a little bit of a review of the Oscars this time. And, and apparently the, the, these were apolitical for the most part. You had couple one jab at Tucker Carlson you had one you know a jab or two at transgender um, politics yeah I mean you, there was there was but there was very little and it was sprinkled lightly throughout the program is the way that it was described um, and that actually it was the the program overall was much more agreeable. Now, the, the reason they're doing this, and there's one reason only, and that's because the they're tanking. I mean, nobody cares about the Oscars. They're like me. They don't want that junk uh, coming into their home, coming into their head, um, and giving them heartburn and a headache. So uh, they've kind of, that's why they're backing off. But I don't think that means anything in terms of the way they actually are. It's just uh, the bottom line for them. But if, you, if you're wondering about winners, everything, everywhere, all at once, it's always a movie that I've never seen. I mean, I think the last, I think the last Oscar that went to a movie that I saw was maybe Lord of the Rings. 
I mean, I, as far as Beck's best picture. I mean, I just after that, it it's been all these weird movies that nobody's ever heard of. Now, apparently, everything, everywhere, all at once is kind of a conglomeration of different movie styles, and that's what made it interesting for those that went to see it. But um, it 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 got seven Oscars last night, including best picture, best actress. Uh, Brandon Frazier, which most people thought was going to happen, won the best actor for his role in The Whale. And um, and then, of course, Top Gun Maverick. There was kind of a theme going around of Top Gun Maverick. It didn't win any of the big awards. It won for sound and maybe one other thing that's kind of a behind-the-scenes um, Oscar. But everybody was trying to make it. That Hollywood was was obviously trying to make it sort of a, a plain uh, theme, and, and you know, for for this particular show, and so uh, Top Gun Maverick was kind of ubiquitous, even though it it only won one or maybe two of the Oscars uh, for supporting roles, background roles, and I knew this was going to happen. I mean, they couldn't bring themselves to actually give an award, a major award. To Top Gun because you've actually had people coming out and complaining because it supports the military-industrial complex and blah, 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 which is there's just a lot of blah, blah, blah out there now. But there is a good piece today by Jeffrey uh, Belhar over at National Review, and it's called Top Gun Maverick is the best picture of the year, even if it won't win. And here's the way he put it. Um He's, he starts out, now this was written before the Oscars took place, so he says, it's Oscar night, can you feel the the buzz in the air, the warm, fuzzy glow America bask in when Hollywood stars are about to come out to shine? Um, and then he says, I guess that's enough sarcasm for one piece. Well, yeah, a lot of sarcasm. The well-known drop-off in an interest in the Academy Awards is a function of a multiple convergent phenomenon. The atomization of American consumer entertainment habits, the increasingly undisguised, dull-witted leftist narcissism of Hollywood's elites, and the marvelization of big-budget filmmaking and the ravages of COVID-19 on the theater industry, and that's just for starters. But ratings might be up a bit this year, and not just because more people seem to be returning to movie theaters beginning midway through 2022 as the nation shook off the COVID jitters. It's because we have a reasonably interesting slate of candidates this year. I can't and won't review the Best Picture nominees nominees here. Michael Brendan Doherty wrote a far more incisive review of the Banshees of of Insurin. (laughs) Wow, it, this guy's hard to read. Then I could offer uh, a far, um, and, and let's see what is this. Uh, everything, everywhere, all at once, the multidimensional science fiction time travel saga about a multi-generational Asian family. It, and yes, uh, the film is, is as high concept as that description reads, is, is tipped by most observers to sweep the major categories. And of course, it did. The best picture of 2022, however, is unlikely to win because while Top Gun Maverick has been nominated, it feels more like an Avatar-like sop to popular sensibilities in a year where the Marvel Cinematic Universe soiled its drawers. <laughs> this is this is uh, this is National Review. Okay, uh, 
it is no such thing. Maverick is one of the more unique beasts seen in Hollywood in recent years, an authentic action blockbuster that conceals shocking thematic depths within its normally crowd-pleasing skin. Now, if, if he were speaking the King's English instead of trying to revel you with his vocabulary, what he would simply say is that Top Gun Maverick had was an amazing action movie, but it also went deep into character portrayals and brought out themes from the first movie that were amazingly examined to in some depth. I mean, the relationship between Iceman and Maverick, uh, the relationship between Goose and now his son uh, that you see, the last time you see Goose's son, he's sitting on the piano with an oversized cowboy hat, listening and singing away with uh, the rest of the family, uh, doing, uh, what's the name of that song that they were Goodness um, gracious, great balls of fire. Oh, okay, That's right. what they were singing. So anyway, um, I had to let it play through my head before I could get to it. So it seems, you know, that that's that's what makes Maverick such a great movie. I mean, most of the times, most of the time you go to the movie and it's an action packed movie, but the character development is just, it's not there. It doesn't, there's not an underlying story that's incredibly compelling that keeps you riveted to the screen because it's personal relationships, it's people, it's the people dynamic, the the chemistry between the characters in a really good movie that keep you interested. I mean, slam bam action only goes so far. I mean, you can only kill so many people, blow up so many buildings, and have so many of the you know the slow motion walkaways while something behind you is totally destroyed before you just get sick of it. But you never get sick of it if the character development and the, the, the strength of the storyline keeps you riveted. And that's what happens in Top Gun Maverick. Um, let's see. Let me jump on here. Rewatching Maverick now and knowing what we do in retrospect about how it gave the entire theatrical experience life when it was in danger of dying Crews fought to keep it off streaming services and theater exclusive using star leverage that he alone wields. Now, that, that's another thing people don't realize. Ted, Tom Cruise understood something about movies. They were dying. I mean, they were on life support. People were just not going to the movies. And there are two reasons for that. COVID and the movie stunk. I mean, there was not, there weren't really good quality movies coming out. So when Tom Cruise made Maverick, Top Gun Maverick, and it was ready for release, he held it until COVID broke to a point that he was convinced that if people had a good reason, they would go back to the theaters. And then they released it. And sure enough, they went back in droves. Now, here's the thing about going to the movies. Once you break the the kind of the barrier, then everybody starts going. It's kind of like that scene in Jaws where they're all sitting on the beach, you know, and the mayor comes along and he tells these people, nobody's getting in the water. Go get in the water and let the shark come and nibble on you so that we can all have our businesses this summer. Well, so this family finally gets up and goes in the water and they all become shark bait and you know how that works. But it, you, you get my point. It takes just a few people to jump in and then everybody decides, well, this must be okay because – Everybody's going back to the movies, and I really want to see it anyway. So Tom Cruise kind of saved the, the theater industry with this. And they ought to, They should give 
the Oscar should have given the Oscar to Top Gun Maverick for no other reason than most of them have jobs because of Top Gun Maverick. And they still have awards to give out to an industry that still exists. Um, so, for once, it's a tale that resonates because in this film, you actually see him fighting for something valuable. Not even the plot of the film per se, but for the grandeur of the blockbusters of his young adulthood. The entertainment that reached and pleased millions, just as Maverick did, cruises a difficult character to warm entirely to. Everyone knows about his Scientology, and I, for one, have never forgotten his adventurous uh, adventures atop Oprah's couch. Oh, for Pete's sake. The guy jumped up and down on Oprah Winfrey's couch. Get over it. I mean, he was excited because he was getting ready to marry some girl that he was really excited about, or at, at least he was excited about the relationship that he was in with her. Maybe they weren't getting married. I don't know if Hollywood people get married anymore unless they're doing it for publicity. But his manifest love of the classic Hollywood blockbuster that made people feel good is impossible not to respect. And then he ends the column by saying, I hear MSNBC's in an uproar because Top Gun is apparently insidious propaganda for the U.S. military machine. We know, and we've known since 1986, good. It's very good that it's all of that. It is. People wanted to feel good. After COVID, people wanted to feel good about the country. They wanted to feel good about America. You know, it, it, b believe it or not, for those, and I, I, I know Hollywood leans in and listens to every word that I utter, ha-ha, um, you know, it, 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 they need to understand this. People don't want to go to the movies and come out feeling like they just went to see the boy in the striped pajamas. Some of you will know what I'm talking about. They want to come out feeling good. They want to come out feeling good like I want to be a better person that movie inspired me it didn't it did something for me it had an incredible message behind it movie and theater has the power to move people and actually make people think better about things they should think better about but you can't do that unless you make movies that are designed to do that and from for the most part movies are self-flagellation or they're uh, you know, talking about how bad everything is, or they're uh, extolling the virtues of 515 different genders. I mean, it's just it, it's just gotten to be the thing that people don't want to see. Um, and so, if Hollywood gets back to making pictures like Top Gun Maverick, then people will go back to the movies, lots of them. And if they make movies like The Jesus Revolution, which has made an incredible amount of money for the picture that it is. Most people didn't predict it to do that well, but it's exceeded expectations. Why? Because it's got a powerful theme that moves people. The characters are well-developed, and you're sitting there watching a movie where you care about the people that are on the screen because the writing and the production and all of that has come together to make that so. Uh, look, I'm a movie buff. I'm, I, I have no, I'm, no apologies. Um, movies that, you know, they're, I really like good movies. I'm thrilled that the Mandalorian is back on. I mean, that's, that's some of the best star Wars stuff that's ever been put to film. I mean, if, for people that don't know what man, about Mandalorian, I'm telling you that series, uh, is incredible, incredible the thing is you have to go get it. Only place you can get it is Disney plus that's the drawback. All right. Gene's on the phone. Go ahead. Yes, well, I want to thank you for informing me that uh, the Oscars occurred last night. 
as if I really care, number one. Number two, uh, going to your comment that certainly entertainment uh, does move uh, the, uh, I guess, the spirit of the population to some extent. And how this, this group focused last night, was it last night, the Oscars? Yeah, it was last right. night. Okay, they, they focused on the, the evils of the U.S. military. What timing? We right now have a U.S. military that can no longer recruit quality uh, 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 personnel. What no, that's, that's very true. Yeah, thank you, Gene. I appreciate it. First of all, it wasn't the Oscars that focused on the evils of the military. It was MSNBC that made a comment about it. And as far as I know, MSNBC was the only outlet that talked about, yeah, Top Gun Maverick was a good movie, but it was really bad because it glorified the military-industrial complex. And not a whole lot of people paid attention to that. Uh, they, the, the, as far as the Oscars are concerned, they were kind of capitalizing on the fact they understood that Top Gun was what made it possible for them to even have a show. They just didn't want to give them the top award because they could, I mean, it, the, the left would have lost its ever love in mind if, if Top Gun Maverick had won. Um, so, which I can't think of a better reason to give them the Oscar. You know, this, this reminds me of Indiana Jones. Um, do you remember, and, and Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, back when that movie came out, we were kind of in a lull and people were longing for action movies that not, not necessarily had deep character development, but just action movies, you know, and Harrison Ford comes out with Raiders of the Lost Ark and it revived the action movie genre. And then, because you had, up until that, you were having all these movies with deep character, you know, references, which you need both, you know? You, you, people get tired of going to movies that are two-hour sob-stop stories of, you know, people who are in a bad relationship or even a good relationship. They want to see something that is, is you know, kind of a combo. Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark raised the bar when it comes to action and then gradually they started merging those two action movies with believable well-developed characters that you cared about and Top Gun Maverick probably is the culmination of that did the best job of any I want to spend some time today talking about China because I think that most Americans are just not paying a lot of attention to, to China uh, to how China is changing how our China strategy has failed miserably. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that now. You know, so when I'm talking about the China strategy, what am I talking about? Well, of course, Nixon becomes the first president to visit China, and everybody just applauded him, thought that was a, a great diplomatic move. We opened up uh, trade with China, and the whole theory was that as China becomes wealthier, as it steps more onto the world stage, as it becomes more of an economic power, um, and they, they learn more about the freedoms of the West, and they start to get McDonald's, and they start to get uh, other icons of the West that locate there, that, that the Chinese people would begin to move more toward a freedom. They would, they would want to be free from communism. Um, the, the, the West had this idea that China would just transform itself. 
And what they forgot, or what they never knew to start with, is that China is has a long history of of dynasties that demonstrate that the Chinese that Chinese leadership in particular is perfectly content to be very, very patient when it comes to domination and growing a dominant society in the world. And so instead of building a freer society by receiving all of these great influxes of Western influence, Western technology, Western capitalistic thoughts, all of those things, instead of putting that all in a basket and coming out freer, what the Chinese government has done is figured out how to maintain their communist control over the people, their brutal regime. They're as brutal as they've ever been, maybe more so under Xi Jinping. And they've, they've figured out how to take all of the advantages that the West has pushed in their direction, all the money, all the manufacturing that's moved to China, all of that. They've taken that and, and cracked down harder on their people, they've used it as a catalyst to build a stronger communist repressive regime and to isolate themselves even further. So instead of this being an opening of China, it's turned out to be the closing of China in a sense, in the sense that it's closed off to the idea of freedom and it's stealing American technological secrets in order to catch up militarily. It's um, it, it exploiting opportunities for Chinese citizens to come to America to serve as information hubs for the Chinese government and to get education that they need to take back to China. Um, I mean, there are so many things that has gone wrong with this plan. Uh, it did not work at all the way that people in the West hoped that it would work. Uh, because China has not become a partner. You know, there was this myth in the 1990s and the early 2000s that China was going to be our partner, even though we kind of turned our head and coughed when it came to what happened in Tiananmen Square. You know, well, that's just, that that was, uh, yeah, that was terrible. We, we know though all those students that were run over by the tanks that day. But you know we're we're gonna we're gonna gloss that over. We're we're just gonna say that was a glitch. That was kind of a um, a, a bump, a speed bump on the way to better China relations. Actually, it was a speed bump for the tanks as they ran over students in Tiananmen Square. It's horrible, but we ignored it, and so now here we are. We have a, a Chinese dictator who has made himself pretty much president for life, Xi Jinping who is brutally shutting down Christian churches, that is brutally going after the Uyghurs and any religious minority that may question Chinese leadership. You know, they made all these promises about Hong Kong. They were going to let Hong Kong remain free. It was going to be this economic beacon to the world. Uh, it was going to be a, a, the new China. None of that was true. It was all a lie. Uh, the Chinese went in and they they cracked down immediately on Hong Kong, took away a lot of the freedoms that they had enjoyed under British rule, and, and just basically transformed 
while COVID hit, you know, we, we were paying attention to what the Chinese were doing to people in Hong Kong. And then COVID hit. And then we stopped paying attention to anything except COVID. And the Chinese used that as an opportunity to completely crush any kind of resistance to Chinese brutal control over Hong Kong. And now they just rule with the same iron hand that they would any other part of China. Uh, and their agreements meant nothing. So here we are in the 21st century, and we're concerned about Chinese military aggression all of a sudden. Well, they've been building up their military for 20 years. It's been obvious that our economic plan to lure them into capitalism hasn't worked. In fact, it's strengthened their, communi their, their um, communist ways um, and they've decided this, their belt and road policy, which is where they go in and they, they bring in sacks of cash, uh, to different countries and build infrastructure, thereby making those countries beholden to China to expand China's influence. Um, they, and, and now they're getting to the point militarily where they think they can flex their muscles a little bit and they're thinking more and more about Taiwan. It's kind of like the cat that sits around and looks at the canary cage waiting for an opportunity for the door to be left open or somehow that the cat can figure out how to get in. China's doing that with Taiwan. And of course, it, anybody that pays attention, China's not going to be satisfied with the taking of Taiwan. China believes that they should own the Philippines. And China ultimately believes that they need to take back Japan. They want to rule and control all of Southeast Asia. They want all those countries, Vietnam, which is already a communist country, but they, want, they would like to have all those countries under direct Chinese control and to become the major player economically and militarily in the world and supplant the United States. They're on a track to do that. That's what they want. They, they will not relent. Um, they're just like any other communist bully. They're going to have to be stopped by the rest of the world before it's too late. And it's getting later every day. Uh, Michael Pillsbury, and we're not talking about the Pillsbury Doughboy here or anything to do with baked goods. We're talking about a guy who is the leading authority on China. That's according to President Trump. Uh, back when Trump was in office, he leaned on Michael Pillsbury quite a bit. Right now, he serves as Senior Fellow for China Strategy at the Heritage Foundation, and he's the author of a book called The 100-Year Marathon, uh, and he's he's one of the leading authors on China and China policy. He's just, he is, he's kind of the go-to expert. Well, uh, there's a piece today at Daily Signal by Elizabeth Troutman. Uh, it was actually published on March the 8th. Talking And the title of the piece, I think, is kind of setting the stage for what we're talking about today, is that Americans are not nearly worried enough about China. Now, this is not to make us worry. It's to make us think, think creatively, think in a way that acknowledges reality, the reality of who China is and what, what their goals are, which we talked about in the last segment. Their true goal is world domination. It is to take Taiwan, to take the Philippines, to ultimately take Japan. And they're just constantly marching forward 
with these goals in mind, while most people in the United States are just not paying close attention because they think China's our buddy, our pal. We get stuff from China, and that's part of the problem. We get way too much of our stuff that we need here in the United States for national security and just for um, day-to-day comfort and convenience. We, do, we just get way too much stuff from, from the Chinese, and we're way too dependent on them. Um, this is coming from that piece that I acknowledge from Daily Signal. China has an enormous influence on Americans today, punishing those who oppose the communist regime and rewarding those who support it. Now, that's according to Michael Pillsbury. Um, this is the China influence strategy toward the United States, he says. Um, he talks about the fact that they do two things. They focus on anybody who says China is a threat, and if they can punish that person or their company or their family, they will do it. And on the other side, they, they really handsomely reward those who help China. Think NBA. You know, the NBA is, is just in with China. So is Facebook to some degree. So is Amazon. I mean, they want the business of China. They want those markets. They want to be able to make the money. But they either realize and don't care that that's fueling China's military buildup and their economic place in the world. It's keeping them propped up. Or they just want the money. I mean, it's... And it's probably a combination of both, that they they understand that China is a lucrative, lucrative market, but it's kind of like, you know, it's almost like you're fattening yourself up for the slaughter by just continually engaging China and getting resources and actually money. We get money from China. China gets resources, and their resources are being used to more and more threaten the United States. Next paragraph talks about America shouldn't aid China's economic growth as much as we do now. A veteran Defense Department consultant, and he's the author of the 100-Year Marathon, we talked about that, China's secret strategy to replace America as the global power. America gives secrets away to Chinese Communist Party while expecting nothing in return. We're helping China far more than they're helping us. In fact, they're undermining us. Americans for good and for ill are very short-term strategic thinkers, including in foreign policy. The Chinese are the opposite, and this is a very different adversary than we've ever faced in our history. When you're going up against somebody who looks at the sweeping scope of history as opposed to what's happening immediately, and that is something that's happened to the average citizen in the United States, we become very now-focused. We don't understand our history as uh, much of it is being distorted, and we we don't understand, essentially, um, the, the ramifications long-term of the way that we're interacting with the Chinese government. Folks, I apologize. I'm having a, a contact meltdown over here. Um, it's hurting me so bad uh, that I'm, I think I'm going to have to do something about it. You ready to go it, to news? Well, you don't, we, don't, we can't do news at, at, at this time. We don't, it's, it comes up at 8 o'clock. I can do so, it any time you want. Uh, well, let me, uh, 
I'm going to have to do something. Can you tread water for a second mm-hmm. to, just to give to me a chance? I, I think I can get it, get the contact out in here, okay. and then I can go try to fix it during the top of the hour break if you can give me a couple of minutes. But I have to do something here. All right. Well, um, you know, Tony, you talked about the uh, Oscars a little while ago and the fact that they had the uh, Oscars last night, and I know that most of us didn't watch <laughs> the Oscars, but it's interesting that Brendan uh, Fraser wins Best Actor uh, for some a, a movie called The Whale. I've never seen the movie. I don't suppose it's about Jonah, so I'm not exactly sure uh, what it was. Maybe it was about Jonah, and I just don't know. But the fact of the matter is, you know, he wins for The Whale, and I remember him when his first time when he was in The Mummy. So likes to do short two-word films, and that's always uh, interesting from that standpoint. But uh, the movie that did win, uh, Everything, Everywhere, Does Something, I don't know all the details of it, some kind of a sci-fi comedy situation, and they, they did that, but they did that last night. And Jamie Lee Curtis won Best Supporting Actress, so she continues to show up in movies from True Lives, Halloween, and everything else. And what is she, about 110 or something? I, don't, I mean, <laughs> yes. I, look, I don't mean that to be... It, she looks really good yeah. for whatever age she is. That's right. I know she's an, she's older, but aren't we all got those Tony um, Curtis jeans? That's yeah, where it's I, I guess. But she looked she looked she was wearing this killer dress last night. I saw a picture of it. Uh, but she was very but it, and it was modest. I mean, it wasn't a you know like a lot of these Hollywood people wear that looks like it's more not there than there. Mm-hmm. This was just a really nice evening gown. I thought she looked very very nice. All right, I've got uh, the pain under control, so I can try to get my uh, contact back in here during the break, top of the hour. So back to talking about China. Because they're long-term strategic thinkers and Americans are not, that gives them a tremendous advantage when we're talking about geopolitical relationships. I mean, China's China's making moves. They're they're like a chess player. The United States is playing checkers. China's playing chess and they're thinking about moves that may be as many as 10 years down the road. So, in order to counter that, we've got to to begin and I think we actually are. First thing is you've got to realize that there's threat. That China's not our buddy. They're not our pal. They're not somebody that we're going to ally with. Uh, right now, the big concern is how many weapons are they going to send to Russia to help them crush Ukraine? Now that the Russians are beginning to get a little bit of an advantage in that they've they've poured so many troops into Ukraine that Ukraine, even with Western technology, is having trouble pushing back and holding territory that they've taken. You know, you know the, 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 question, the question becomes... If China gets directly involved with Russia in supplying weaponry, sophisticated weaponry, the United States has told them not to. Well, what what does that mean? Does does China really care? Right now, China doesn't make aggressive moves because they're not in a position. It's kind of a symbiotic relationship that they have with the United States. They realize that if if they start a major action, it could really hurt the Chinese. Plus, they're not completely convinced that they could win an all-out war with the West. It wouldn't be just, just the United States. It would be the United States plus its Western allies. 